Welcome to the second of a two-part series on the Tech Ed Podcast, where we talk with Aaron Yakfeld, the CEO of Generac. We had an amazing conversation last week. If you didn't catch it, go back and listen as we talked about energy. We talked about the grid. We talked about his latest acquisition. This week, we are going to dive into upskilling the current workforce. We're going to talk about Aaron's career pathway, which is unique. And we are going to talk about his unique ability to lead through incredible innovation and change in a company that has grown six times since the year 2008 and, and experienced, get this, 50% growth in 2021. You're in for a great episode. Welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. We think about the transformation of the energy market, the transformation of the grid. We have another transformation going on, and that, that is one in the workforce. And I know all these technologies that you're talking about, the advancements that you're making in your business really requires a different type of worker. And to your point, that's not going to happen overnight either. It happens over a certain period of time. But given all these different technologies we've talked about, Aaron, what are the new skills that the incumbent workforce is going to need? How is that role going to change for those that are already working in industry, already in technology, already in manufacturing? Touch on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the changes there, as you've mentioned, and, and this has also been an ongoing topic for a number of years, is you know the upskilling of the workforce to to enable them to be prepared for many of these large changes that are that are happening. So you know the answer is pretty complicated. The the, the problem is complicated. So as you would imagine, the, the solution would be as well. But in if you just kind of look within our four walls in the manufacturing floor. And then you mentioned it, kind of the industry 4.0 conversion that's underway here and all of the automation that we're starting to see in manufacturing, the higher degrees of technology in manufacturing, much of that requires a different type of worker. It's less unskilled and more skilled to a degree. You know, I think that that is in and of itself is a really important change that's taking place. And how do we do that? Because this is an area that we're struggling with. We're going through our own Kind of automation process here within our own factories. As you can imagine, you know, our business grew 50% last year. So how do you handle 50% growth? Well, you can try and throw bodies at it. You can try and hire people. And that's really, even if we could do that, that's been challenging because the unemployment rate has been so low here in the state of Wisconsin, where we do most of our, our, our manufacturing. But beyond that, you can only get so far in trying to scale if you're going to throw bodies at it. We've had to completely rethink our manufacturing operations and had to really invest much more heavily in automation and in the future of you know our factories and what that looks like. And it's not only the hard dollars that go into that, right? To buy the robots and and to reprogram you know your manufacturing lines, redesign your manufacturing lines. But then you have you have the workforce challenge. You can't just take the existing employees you have and redeploy them alongside this automated kind of production environment you have today. They need to learn a whole new skill set. A lot of times that's computer numerically controlled machines. It's robotics. It's a technical skill set that, that is something that is available to people, but it's not going to happen overnight. You know, I mean, they have to go and they've got to acquire those skills and we've got to help them acquire those skills. But it really starts even further upstream, right? We've got to get more people interested 
in, in STEM programs. We've got to connect with the future workforce. And when I'm talking about future workforce, I'm talking about middle schoolers. I'm talking about high schoolers. And we have to connect with them at the right time to get them introduced to what the factory floor of the future looks like. Because for all of our trying, I think one of the things that we have as manufacturers, we still have a bit of a, there's a bit of a stigma there around going into manufacturing, right? People think it's probably more of a dying type of industry than it is a growing industry. And actually nothing could be further from the truth. You know, you talk about, we've talked about all the reshoring that's going on and, and a lot of the opportunities to bring manufacturing back to the U.S. It's not going to look like it looked 20, 30, 40 years ago, right? You've oftentimes, you've heard about the three Ds in manufacturing, the dumb, dirty, and dangerous. Manufacturing of today is very different. And the skill set needed to be successful in that environment is very different. And so we have to start introducing the middle schoolers and the high schoolers to that future kind of manufacturing. We've got to get in front of them. We've got to explain it to them. And more importantly, we've got to explain it to their parents. There's been this kind of mantra out there that, you know, everybody has to go to a four-year degree track, right? I mean, you should, if you're not going to college, there's somehow a painful stigma around going into the trades instead of going to a university. And I think that's wrong. I think, you know, there's, there are tremendous career opportunities in the trades, you know, whether that be manufacturing or whether it's in the electrical trades, which is really important to our business. Because a lot of these products that we've been talking about today, they have to get installed by electricians, people who are licensed and understand the importance of doing that kind of work safely, but those are trades. And so how do we get people interested in trades? How do we introduce them to other career paths outside of kind of a, a traditional university four-year degree? We're involved with a lot of different programs around that, but it's a massive change that's going to have to happen to our workforce to accommodate all these other changes that we've been talking about today. Yeah, it's interesting. So many of the things that you just chatted about are, are huge passions for us here at the Tech Ed Podcast. You know, we point often to a study that was done not long ago by Skills USA and the Manufacturing Institute, where they interviewed 23,000 people who had graduated from high school, chosen a career pathway, and asked them what influenced that pathway. And the number one item on that list, and it isn't even close, is their own interest and experiences when they're in middle school and high school. And I would just tell you, anecdotally, I think we're making progress. I think people are starting to wake up to the future of manufacturing, to the way that it's being automated, to the way that it's becoming smarter, to the fact that there are just amazing professions that are available to people who choose manufacturing as a career. So it's, you know, we're certainly not there yet, although I feel like it's better than it was, say, five years ago, still a long way to go. But you're exactly right. How do we inspire that next generation of, of individuals toward careers in manufacturing? And then what are we doing with our incumbent workforce? Uh, you know, one of the comments that I like to make is, you look at most of the people working in manufacturing today, they're still going to be in manufacturing 10, 15, 20 years from now. I mean, if I'm 30 years old and I'm in manufacturing, my job is probably manufacturing when I'm 50. But the technology, the robotics, the automation, the you know computer numeric controls that you mentioned, I mean, that technology is going to be totally different. And how do we take our incumbent workers and make sure that they you know, that they're prepared for that next generation. I know you're doing some pretty interesting things with GPS. You're doing some things around internships. You're reskilling and upskilling your incumbent workforce. You know, any thoughts on, on some of your specific efforts in those regards? Yeah, I think you mentioned one of them. I mean, GPS Education Partners has been a, I mean, we're a, the founding sponsor of that organization. I mean, I, we started that out in a classroom in Jefferson, Wisconsin. I think it's almost 25 years ago now. And so our former COO, Don Tabbitt, had a, she had a passion for that and really, help drive and spearhead that effort to the point where we had enough scale to kind of go off on its own out of an incubation period and 
And now there are just tons of districts in, in a lot of different states. And the premise of that program is a work-based learning opportunity. So you take you know, kids at the high school level and you introduce them to technical subject matter by actually putting them out in the manufacturing floor in industry, right? So they actually work and learn in the same environment. And there's a lot of kids out there that you know, just maybe don't learn the same way. We all learn differently. And some, some kids learn better in a classroom with a book and, you know, an educator standing in front of them kind of directing their efforts. And there's a lot of kids that learn better by seeing, by doing, right, using their hands, experiencing things, experiential kind of learning as opposed to that traditional kind of book learning, right? That was me, by the way. So it, that, Yeah, it's a lot of us, right? I mean, a lot of us, I think... You can buy something today. You can get the uh, the manual for it. You can read the manual 10 times. I, I'm this way. I got to go and use it. If I don't use the product, the manual doesn't do anything for me. I got to use the product. And that's really at the core of what GPS Education Partners does. They support businesses connecting with classrooms, students, putting those together. And that's creating the technical workforce of the future. And so, you know, we've had tremendous success and they've had tremendous success taking kids and, and really showing them the opportunities beyond traditional classroom learning, traditional kind of four-year degree programs, more technical degree programs. And you know what? Even some of the kids that go through those programs end up going back and getting four-year degrees in engineering or in other STEM disciplines that they might not have otherwise been even probably remotely interested in had they not been exposed to it at an early age. So that for us is a really important one. I would say that the opportunity to connect with kids, it's just so critical. And it's good to hear from your vantage point that it sounds like we're having some success, that people are, maybe we're starting to turn this a little bit because all of these different programs and all of these different formats and all the calories we burn in trying to make this happen, it just feels like we're moving, but we're moving at too slow of a pace. So I do think the flywheel is spinning now. And I think we're starting to get more people interested in this, more businesses interested in this more education systems interested in this, right? More school districts. And that's really, you've got to get the school districts on board as well and the businesses and you've got to put them together. And And those programs I think are starting to have success. And that's the kind of thing that uh, I would point to as for us, what's worked. And over the course of 25 years, you know, thinking about GPS education partners, taking flight in your organization and now under the direction of Stephanie Borowski, who we work really closely with, just doing amazing things and inspiring young people toward um, awesome careers. And, and giving them the skills that they need when they when they get there, and also, you know, allowing industrial employers exposure to those students, which is equally important. So, so credit to you and to Generac for all your work in that regard. Let's talk a little bit now about third party certifications. You know, I've gotten to know very well Andy Martin, who is a key member of your team. Andy and I are, are fellow Business Journal Forty Under Forty alums. That goes back a little ways. I forget if that's where he and I met or not, but I've known Andy for a long time. He's been really supportive of the work at the Smart Automation Certification Alliance, which is an organization headquartered in Louisville that's building out third-party certifications in Industry 4.0. As a, a member of their national board, by the way, at SACA, thank you for your investment in that organization and the time that Andy's been able to spend with us. But talk a little bit about third-party certifications. You know, We hear about tech diplomas, associate degrees. What role are these third-party certifications like those from the Smart Automation Certification Alliance going to play? in education pathways and manufacturing going forward? Well, I think like any third-party certification, uh, what you'd hope to get from that is a standardization around, you know, the, a standard set of, of rules or a standard framework from which to work from. And that's what most third-party certifications are all about is setting up that framework and then having businesses, in this case, 
with Industry 4.0, having those businesses adopt that framework. And that framework can be down at the machine level in terms of how the machine is deployed or what the technologies are used in the work environment, all the way through to the kind of end-to-end system certification, if you will, of those environments. And so we think that those things and being a part of authoring those, right, and adding our voice to that is really critical. I mean, you can either, with third-party certifications, you can either acknowledge that, okay, this is something we have to do and just kind of do it, or you can help drive how they're created, right? And I think that's a really important thing. We've learned over the years, in our world, Underwriters Laboratory is a big you know, certification body when, around electrical devices, right, UL. And so being a part of the UL process, right, having an investment of people, our people, that go and sit on some of the code writing committees and are part of the code writing process, right? They solicit input from electricians, solicit input from you know other parts of the industry because it's not hard to get behind this because it's in the name of safety right so it's an easy thing for us to get behind but having the opportunity to participate in that i think is really important because one you know it allows you to lend your voice to the process but two it it i think it really helps you stay contemporary with some of the things that are going on right around some of these certifications and that brings you closer to the technologies that those certifications are the reason why we're even talking about it, right? So in as you get closer to those things, you start to understand just how quickly some of those things are changing, how quickly the technologies are moving and the need for those certifications so that we're on the same page with how we deploy those technologies in a common framework or standardized framework. So I think that's that's what we'd point to as being you know kind of a really important part of one, being a part of that, the framework itself and the development of the framework, but then the adherence to it I think is is also important. Yeah, being part of that process and then benefiting from the students and the learners that are gaining those certifications and having the awareness of what those competencies are all about because your organization was right in the middle of creating and providing input. So I, we were just huge believers that third-party certifications, it's not going to be an either or, it's an and when it comes to education pathways and degrees and, and credentials. So great things happening in that space. So Aaron Yakfeld, CEO of Generac, is our guest here on the Tech Ed Podcast. Aaron, you're BizTime CEO of the year. Uh, Generac was named to the S&P 500 in 2021. Congratulations on that. Company's revenue is six times greater than it was in 2008. You mentioned 50% growth in 2021. Obviously, you're doing some things, lots of things right. What is your personal philosophy of leadership that's enabled you to grow the organization in the way that you have? Well, for me, I'm a finance guy by trade. So, you know, I I have to learn uh, a lot of the technical aspects of the business. I've got to really rely on other people for that kind of knowledge. And so what that's taught me over the years is the opportunity to connect with really smart people and to kind of ask them questions, right? I'm, I'm an inquisitive person. So my leadership style is one of, of really asking a lot of questions so that one, I learn, but also in that process, we create a dialogue around what are we trying to, either if it's, if it's a problem we're trying to solve or if it's a, a strategy we're trying to evolve or you know, it's a new direction we want to go. I think understanding through questions and understanding through dialogue—that's been a big part of how I've learned. It's just a, it's a continuous learning kind of approach to things. And uh, I think understanding that when you walk in a room, there's always sm- somebody smarter than you in the room. Right? In my case, for sure. Yeah, most of them. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I have to be realistic that, when, especially when we start talking about some of the high technical stuff we've been talking about today. You know, with technologies, whether it's battery storage or the automation 
or robotics. I mean, there's a lot of kind of really cool technology out there. And, you know, I don't understand a lot of it. <laughs> so I have to rely on my teams to help me understand it and make good decisions around the directions we need to go. But I rely on our teams very heavily as a, it's really a collaborative style. I, I think that having the right team that you can trust to help you on that process, knowing that you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I think there is this, there's this tendency as a CEO, right? That somehow you're showing weakness if you come into a meeting and and you're not the smartest person or you don't have the best idea, or I kind of let people down right away. As soon as I walk in, I said, hey, I don't know anything about what we're talking about today. So I'm going to rely on you guys to, to help me make this decision. But I think having the humility around that and not having to be the smartest person in the room and not worrying about what that connotation is if you're not. And then also, I think the other big thing for me is taking the appropriate amount of risk too, right? I mean, it, it, it'd be really easy to play it safe on everything, right? Get the 100% answer before you make a decision. Let's get 100% of the project timeline done before we launch. I mean, all of these things, I think, are things that you can play things really, really safe and be conservative. But what I've learned is, you know, I think having an appropriate kind of risk paradigm, you don't want to take risks that are going to blow up the company, right? You don't want to take risks that are undue around safety and things like that. I mean, you have to understand where you can take risk and where you can't. But I do think that, I think encouraging the team to take risks and know that, you know, not everything that we try is going to be a home run, right? That's okay. Don't be afraid to fail on certain things, right? Whether that's an idea for a product or that's innovation. I mean, the, at the core of Generac is innovation. That's what our founder, Bob Kern, he took an idea. He took a set of ideas and he turned it into a product and turned it into a market, turned it into a company that here 60 years later is doing what it's doing. I mean, it's, it's fantastic to think about that. And he did it. He didn't have a fear of failing. He, you know, he knew that he was confident enough in his technology and in his ideas. And, and he was confident enough that if it wasn't right, he would figure it out. And he would, you know, he'd move on to the next thing that was. And we try to instill that same kind of thinking in our teams here that, look, don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to suggest out-of-the-box ideas. Don't be afraid to push on those technologies. That's what makes Generac, Generac. And so that's a big part of our philosophy here. A big part of my philosophy as a leader is encouraging that kind of behavior within the teams. And then relying on them, of course, as I said before, to be smarter than I am. You have so many of my own personal philosophies packed into that last answer. You know, one of my mantras is I don't need to know everything about something in order to be able to use it, especially when it comes to technology. And, you know, I don't have a, a STEM background myself, but even for those who do, it's changing so fast. You can't keep up with all the different aspects of it and all the different intricacies. What's important is to understand how to use it. You have another one that says it's okay to go into something not knowing how I'm going to get my way back out of it as long as I have the confidence that I'll figure something out when the time comes. And that's, you know, that's a lot about innovation, right? Is, is, you know, you don't want to, like you said, you don't want to take crazy risks. You don't want to bet the farm on something that isn't going to work, but at the same time to just play it safe and, and not, you know, let your company achieve what it's capable of achieving. That's not fair to your team. That's not fair to your consumers or your market either. You know, Aaron, you and I, I tell people I don't admit it at cocktail parties, but I'm actually a certified public accountant as well. <laughs> I got my start in the in the world of public accounting and then parlayed that into a you know a controllership CFO and then onto the technology side eventually and the, the leadership side, obviously 
a similar pathway, although you've got a couple more zeros behind your company than the ones that I was running. And I mean, on the right side of the number without the decimal, <laughs> without the decimal point, I don't know how many S&P 500 CEOs you got there started at, at a University of Wisconsin, Whitewater, great institution, probably better known to the people in Wisconsin than maybe our, our listeners across the country. That's a really interesting uh, education pathway and a place to get your start. You know, what does it take to lead an organization like Generac, and how did you get to this point? Given that you know that background in finance and public accounting and so on. Yeah, no, I, I it's a great story, and I too am a, a CPA. Although I, I I like to tell people now I'm reformed. Yep, I'm I'm a recovering accountant. Yeah. Recovering accountant. You know, I still think about tax returns and I think about auditing every once in a while, but it's a it's fleeting now. It's not ever present anymore, like it used to be early in my career. But there's a couple of things that in your question there, you know, I. I chose the University of Wisconsin Whitewater for really two simple reasons. One, I really wanted to participate in athletics, collegiate level, and I just simply wasn't good enough for a D1 school. So that's part of it. I was able to uh, participate in track and field for all four years at UW Whitewater. But the second reason was really it was, you know, it was, a, it was an affordable education at a, you know, at a credible institution. And I didn't go into that thinking I would go into finance or go into accounting. I really didn't. I, I kind of went into it. I think maybe kids today go into go into college and they they know exactly what they want to do, right? I, I think of my own kids and I think they had a pretty strong idea of what they want to do. I went into college. I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. I I wanted to go to college. I wanted to you know learn and I wanted to participate in track and field. And that was that was pretty simply, you know, kind of how I got there. Learned real quickly that I had an interest in the accounting profession, took a, a 101, accounting 101 class, kind of enjoyed the whole debits and credits thing, kind of made sense to me. I was decent in math. So that kind of fit my my German brain a little bit. And so that evolved into a, an accounting degree. And then, you know, I also went off to work in public accounting. And what I learned in that was what a wonderful opportunity to, to see a wide array of different industries. I worked on healthcare clients. I worked on governmental clients. I worked on manufacturing clients, right? Retail clients. And what I learned is that I really enjoy the complexity of manufacturing. This idea of taking literally a raw material in one end of the building, receiving that in and having it come out the other end of a building as this kind of cool, shiny product that could show up on the shelf of one of the retailers locally, right? I just, I was really, and, and all the activity that went on in between to transform that raw material and the people that were working with it and the, the engineers who were designing it. And I was just fascinated by the complexities of it. So I gravitated towards manufacturing. Generac was a client of mine. So, you know, it's, it's the typical public accounting story, right? I was auditing Generac's books before I worked here and had the opportunity to come on board and come in truly at the ground level. You know, I think the guy behind me or the person behind me was the person taking out the garbage, right? So I was, I was maybe one step ahead of that, but not real far. It's a ground floor kind of coming into the company. But what a, tr what a tremendous way to learn about a business when you look at it through the finances of the company, right? What goes into being a successful company? What goes in, you know, the costs to run it, the sales and, and the cost of the manufacturing, all the things that go into the end of the day, being a successful company, not only having success in the market, but having success financially, right? I mean, if you can have success financially, you can continue to reinvest. And I saw this with the business here that, you know, they were in a really good industry, a growing industry in the energy industry, but also they were successful financially. And that allowed the company to continue to invest in hiring people, in building new plants, in acquiring equipment. And all of those things are really, really important to the vitality of the business in the future. And so I think my accounting degree really gave me an opportunity to, to 
look at the company through maybe a different lens, right? Our founder was an engineer. So his lens was through a technical lens, right? Through the product. And so I could look at it through the P&L, which is a different way to look at the company. And I think it's just, you know, for me, it's it's been a, a wonderful journey to learn the technical side and apply my accounting skills to this to create a situation where, you know, I'm just dangerous enough <laughs> in a lot of things. <laughs> An amazing story, an amazing journey, an amazing result. One last question. What would you, if you had one piece of advice for a young person, a high school sophomore, as they consider their future and their pathway, what would that piece of advice be? I would tell somebody that was at that level to make sure that they explore a lot of things when it comes to potential career paths. You know, I think, as I said before, all too often, I think whether it's guidance counselors or us as parents or the world around us, you almost feel like the pressure to go to a four-year university, you know, and to start that journey, don't feel like you're a failure if that doesn't fit you. Explore other opportunities. Ask a lot of questions, right? I think it starts with that. And then kind of do that. And this is hard to maybe ask somebody who's a sophomore in high school to do, but, you know, what do you like? Do you like your math classes? Do you like your history classes? Do you like putting things together with your hands? Maybe you're more mechanically inclined, right? I used to say this to people. I loved building with Legos when I was a kid. I mean, I'm, and I'm still kind of a closet adult fan of Legos. And, I am, I'm, I'm, and so I love doing that because I just, the mechanical process of doing that, just it feeds into what kind of makes my brain happy. And so everybody, for everybody, it's a little different. And so I think really being critical and analyzing yourself, what you like and what you don't like, and then trying some different things. And don't be afraid that if you try something, and I remember there's a story, my wife who was also a University of Wisconsin Whitewater grad and also an accounting uh, CPA, she went into college, she thought she wanted to be a teacher. And so her first experience, you know, she had an opportunity to teach like a, a preschool class and she did one class and she figured out that she didn't want to be a teacher. <laughs> That, that that wasn't for her. But it's through that experience. You'd hate to go all the way to the end, get your degree, and then have that kind of experience. So you have to experience a lot. You've got to ask yourself a lot of questions and ask others a lot of questions. And from that, I think you can hopefully point yourself in a direction. And maybe you pick a career path like finance or accounting, where you get the opportunity to, to explore a bunch of different industries through that lens, which I had that opportunity. And Matt, it sounds like you did as well. I think that that was hugely beneficial to me to figure out what industry I wanted to go into from, you know, to use my degree and kind of take that next step. Absolutely. We could have a whole second episode talking about each other's career pathways and so on. Very Lots and lots of parallels there, but great advice for a high school sophomore. Think about what you like. What we like here at the Tech Ed Podcast is meeting really, really interesting people who are disrupting and doing great things in industry and technical education. Certainly check that box. And the other piece of advice, explore a lot of things. And man, did we explore a lot of things on this episode. So Aaron Yachfeld, CEO of Generac, thank you so much for taking the time for us. It's been a wonderful discussion. It's a great discussion, Matt. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tech Ed Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.